God cares more about relationship than religious action. I wish I'd have known this 40 years ago. I wish I'd have known this. That my father loves me so much that when he sees me, and I've been rebellious, I've been running, I've disregarded what he said, I've disobeyed what he said, whatever the situation in my life, whatever the situation in your life, when my father sees me returning to him, and I might be returning out of a need, I might be returning out of a need, I might be returning because I'm scared I'm going to hell, or I might be returning because of a, a physical need or emotional need or whatever, but I might be returning. But you see, God, God just runs out and embraces me forgives me, tells me I'm his child. I am not his slave. I am his child. You are part of the family, and I love you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever heard someone talking about someone you never knew? Have you ever heard of someone talking about someone you never knew but because of their relationship with that person and the stories that they begin to share, you felt like you knew that person personally. I mean, you thought you, you began to get a vision of who they were and you begin to get a kind of a picture of the, the person, the man or the woman or the child or whoever. You begin to get a vision of who they were and what they appeared like and their integrity and their character and, and their way of life. Well, I want you to understand one purpose for Jesus Christ coming to earth was to help you and I see what our heavenly Father was like. I mean, Jesus, who spent eternity past with the heavenly Father, knows him well. And he begins to give him or begins to give us pictures. We call them parables in the Bible. He begins to give us pictures of what our Heavenly Father is really like. Perhaps when Jesus came, the world did not understand or know much about who the Father was, God Almighty. I mean, they had heard stories. They had heard stories about the, the miracles and the deliverance of, uh, of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt. They had heard stories how God had conquered, hit their enemies, and how God had brought them into the promised land. They had heard all these kind of stories, but I'm afraid they really didn't know what God was really like. And so Jesus comes to earth, and the form of a babe. He's born of a virgin. He's born of the Holy Spirit. He comes to earth, and as he comes to earth, he grows into a man that begins to share some stories of what our Heavenly Father is really like. And in Luke, the 15th chapter, Jesus gives us one of those stories so that you and I might really know what our Heavenly Father is like. And so again, let me ask you this question. What do you think God thinks? What do you think God thinks of you when he looks at you? Now, we may think God is fed up with our failures. 
And we may feel like, well, God really wants nothing to do with us. Or we may think that God isn't disappointed in us because, you know, I keep telling God I'll do better, I'll do better, I'll do better, and, you know, I'll never do that again. I don't know about you, but I, I've been there. I've done that, you know. I said, God, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And then I do it again. And I think about Romans, the seventh chapter, where Paul would write, the things that I wanted to do, I didn't do, and the things I didn't want to do, I did anyway, you know. And I think about that's me. And sometimes if I'm not careful, I think, well, you know, my father is disappointed in me. I've done nothing but disappoint God. Or maybe we think if we work harder, he'll love us more. I've got to work harder. But according to Jesus, God doesn't think like that at all. The truth about God's heart for sinners may surprise you and I and certainly has the power to change the lives of us. But in order to understand this parable, we have to go back to verse 1. Verse 1 of the 15th chapter, and I want to read just part of it. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with him. Now get, get kind of the vision and the surrounding. Here we find Jesus is surrounded by three groups of people, or maybe even four groups of people. First of all, we find that he is surrounded by sinners. And the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So to me, I fall into that category. I am a sinner. We are all sinners, and the Bible makes it clear, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God makes it clear that all of us are sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. None of us are perfect. And so I look at this, this setting here, and Jesus is surrounded by people like me, like you. And then there were the tax collectors. The tax collectors now was not like IRS agents. They were the worst of the worst. I mean, you know, if you went to bed at night and you were a sinner, at least you could say, well, at least I'm not a tax collector. At least I'm not like they are. They're the enemies of Israel. They're the worst of the worst. I mean, I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not like one of them. But Jesus says he's surrounded by sinners and the tax collectors. People like me and people who I might think are worse than me. And then there's a group of Pharisees and lawgivers or teachers of the law, I should say. There's this group that began to mutter among themselves, and he says, look at that man. He calls himself a man from God. He calls himself the Son of God. He calls himself the Messiah, and yet this man is surrounding himself with tax collectors, the worst of the worst, and with sinners. And they muttered and complained. He shouldn't be doing that. If he's from God, he shouldn't be surrounding himself with these type of people. 
And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you begin to feel the tension. The tension in the scenario, the tension in the situation, because, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and the law, uh, uh, teachers of the law were saying, oh, man, uh, you know, the, the, this man is a man of God, and yet he surrounds himself by people that are awful, that are filthy, that are dirty, that are the worst of the worst. So Jesus begins to tell three stories. We're going to focus on one, but he begins to tell three stories. And he begins to tell these stories trying to share what the heavenly father is really like. And he, and he starts off the story, and he begins to share about a farmer who had 100 sheep, and one went missing. And how the farmer left the 99 sheep and went out and searched for the one sheep. And when he found the one, he carried him on his shoulder back to the herd. And he gathered the farmers around in the area. And he said, I want you to celebrate. I want you to celebrate me with me. Because the one sheep that was lost has been found. And then he goes into the story of the lost coin. How that there was this lady, this widow woman, who had, uh, had, had nothing but her retirement, and she lost part of her retirement. She lost one of the 10 coins that she had. And, and when she lost the coin, the Bible says that she went through the house and searched and looked and, and, and looked all over the place for that one lost coin. I mean, this is her retirement. This is her savings. This is her livelihood. And she looked for that one lost coin, and the Bible says that when she found it, she went to her friends and said, hey, I want you to celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. And then he goes into the story about the two sons. How that this father had two sons and one at an early age decided he wanted to uh, kind of be rebellious and kind of go out on his own and do his own thing. And, and so he leaves his father. And as we'll discover later on, he returns. And I want you to notice the common thread in all three of these stories. The common thread in all three of these stories says this. Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Let's celebrate because my son which was dead has been found. And I'm discovering something about that is that Jesus is making a point that when the lost are found, there is a celebration going on in heaven. There is a party that's going on in heaven. I mean, there's such celebration. The angels are rejoicing. The, the, the elders or whoever's in heaven, they're rejoicing because one lost person came to know the Father through Jesus Christ. And I think about that. How does God see me when I fail? So this morning, I want us to look at, and I'm using the, the title of the message, we're going to take it from the prodigal son, but compassion, God's compassion for the rebellious. And I want us to look at it for just a moment. He goes back and he talks in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the state. 
In other words, Father, I, I want us to pretend. I know that, that when you die, I'm going to get an inheritance. I'm going to get one-third of the estate because I'm the younger brother. The older brother gets two-thirds, but I'm the younger brother. But, Father, let's just go ahead and pretend that you're dead. Now, how would you feel? How would you feel if your son came up to you and said, Dad, I just want to pretend that you're dead. I just want to pretend that you don't exist. So why don't you just go ahead and give me one-third of my inheritance now and, and so I can do my own thing? Can you imagine how that would hurt the heart of the father? How that would hurt the heart of a mother or, or whatever, how that would hurt the heart of, of, of your son coming to you and say, Dad, I, you know, I wish you were dead so I could go ahead and get my inheritance. I tell you what, let's pretend you're dead and so I can have my inheritance. You see, the son wasn't interested in a relationship. He really wasn't interested in having a relationship with his father. What he really wanted was the goods that his father had. Oh. How do you think the father felt? So he goes on to tell the story. And he talks about that the son, not long after that, the younger son, excuse me, got together all he had. Now notice that he got together all he had. He was not planning on coming back. The younger son had no plans to come back to the father. He was willing to break every relationship with his family. He had no plans because he took, it was taking everything he had with him. If he had planned on coming back, he'd have left something behind. So he's not planning on coming back. And he takes everything that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in riotous or wild living. And after he spent everything he had, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he joins himself to a farmer who gives him a job to feed the pigs. Now, to a Jew, that is the worst of the worst of the worst kind of job you can have because pigs are unclean. And you're going to go out among the pigs and you're going to join the pigs. You're going to feed the pigs. You're going to kind of be with the pigs. You're going to be unclean. So you got to get a picture of this young son who is, who is Jewish who's putting himself in with the pigs. And the Bible says that he longed to eat the pods or the food that the pigs were eating because he was hungry, hungry. Now, I want us to kind of just make a note of this. How did this younger son end up in such a mess? I mean, how did he end up in, in the mess again? First of all, he became selfish, his fall began with a selfish act, a disregard for his father. He said, I want my money, and I want it now. And all he could see was dollar signs or what he wanted. And he said, Dad, give me my money now. Show me the money I want out of here. Second of all, he acted hastily. He not only was selfish, he acted hastily. When he got his money, the Bible said he went off into a distant country. 
When you hear that phrase, you should not think of somewhere thousands of miles away. Do you know what a distant country is? You know what a distant country is? It's one step outside of God's will for your life. One step outside of God's will for your life. It's not a matter of geography, but a broken relationship with God. He, you see, we don't know how far that distant country was, but we know that once he left, he left his relationship with his father. It's not about geographic, geographic area. It's about a broken relationship. And he acted hastily. The third thing that took place, he wasted everything he had. The word prodigal means waste. When he left, he never intended to come back, and he took everything with him because there was no plans to return. And fourth, he separated himself from every relationship that was important. By leaving, he broke his relationship with his father, with his brother, and with his entire family. He rejected everything that was good and right. Everything went out the window. And then last, he began to make a long string of bad decisions. And isn't that the way that sin works? One bad decision always leads to another. First, you tell a lie. And then you have to tell another lie to uh, cover up for the first one. And then sin begins to lead to more sin. And once you start making bad decisions, it's easier to keep making them as you move forward. But pretty soon, you're about 15 bad decisions in your life. And at that point, it's easier just to keep going. But notice what happens next. The Bible says that after he spent everything and there was a famine in the land and he lost everything he had, he comes face to face with reality. In fact, the scripture says in verse, I believe it is in verse 17, and I want you to look at that. When he came to his senses, he said, when he came to his senses, when he began to be awakened, sin is senseless. It's a form of temporary spiritual insanity. It's turning away from the living water in order to drink out of a sewer. What was it that caught, brought him to his senses? What brought him to his senses? He was hungry. He was hungry. And I'm telling you, he wasn't, he wasn't thinking about a relationship with his father. He was hungry. It's amazing sometimes people don't think about their relationship with God. But when they have a need, they want to return to the father because of the need. Not the relationship, the need. And so... He comes to his senses. He has an awakening. And he begins to repent because notice what he begins to rehearse in his mind. I will set out and go back to my father. He begins to repent. He begins to change direction. He begins to go back. Not back to his sinful way of life. He begins to go back to the father. And he begins to repent. His first step home stemmed from a personal need. 
But in the process of that, he began to grapple with the root of the problem. My father has hired servants that eat more than what I do. I can go back to my father and ask him to forgive me and make me one of his hired servants. Just make me one of your hired servants because then if you make me one of your hired servants, I'll have plenty to eat. You see, it was just about meeting the need. But he repents and he begins to go back to his father. And he's rehearsing over in his mind, you know, what he's going to say to his father. Is his father going to reject him? Is his father going to say, no, you squandered all my goods. You squandered all my wealth. You squandered everything. You gave me a bad reputation. You made me look bad in the community. You made me, you treated me. No, he began to wonder all these things in his mind of how he would address his father. And can you imagine all the thoughts going through his mind? of what his dad would be like, what his dad would respond, how his dad would treat him. But isn't that the way we do sometimes with our spiritual father? Maybe I need to make it more personal. Isn't that what I do sometimes? God, I did it again. I did it again, God, I did it again. I messed up again, and I am sorry, I am sorry. And then all of a sudden, the thoughts that begin to go through my mind, I'm thinking about what I deserve. I'm thinking about all the things that, well, maybe today God's going to punish me and, you know, I, I'm going I'm to fall on top of a roof today. That happened this week, in case you didn't know. <laughs> I literally fell on top of a roof. Fell back flat on my back. Oh, God, I messed up. What's going to happen to me today? And we begin to think thoughts about, you know, well, you know, God, I know you'll forgive me. I know you'll forgive me. But, you know, I, 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 somehow I've got to do better. I've got to do better. I've got to be better. I've got to act better. I've got to quit doing it, God. Uh, but I, in the meantime, I know that, you know, the, the, there's consequences, and I know that I'm probably going to be punished. Now, you may not have thoughts like that, but I have to admit sometimes I do. Can you imagine what went through this son's mind as he's going back to his father? In verse 18, he gets back and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The thing is, he stopped making excuses for his behavior. You see, a person who's really serious about change will quit making excuses about what they're doing. Quit making excuses. Well, I did it because my brother, you know, was going to get more than me, so I, I, I took it because I, you know, uh, you know, it, it's not fair. I did it because my brother was mean to me. I did it because dad didn't treat me right. I did it because of this. And, I, you know, I did what I did because he, be, you know, we make excuses. But when a person is serious about repentance and about change, they quit being the victim and they take responsibility for their actions. And this young son took responsibility, and he said, Lord, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven. I have sinned against you. He began to take responsibility for his rebellious nature. He quit blaming his father. He quit blaming his brother. He quit blaming the pig farmer. He quit blaming everybody else. He began to take responsibility for his own actions. So he got up, and he goes back to his father. And as he shuffled along the road, a couple of questions went through his mind. 
What is my father going to say? What is he going to do? Will he take me back? And probably humiliated, embarrassed, looking down, he goes back towards his father. But the Bible says that when the father saw him afar off, when the father saw him afar off, he was filled with anger. Well, I hope you've learned your lesson. I don't know about you, but have you ever lost your son or your daughter in a crowd? Yeah. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I, I remember my wife lost our son <laughs> in Belks. Wasn't it in Belks? He was right there. You know, you, you, you get your son, you get your kid, and, and you, you hold on to the buggy. Don't you leave. Don't you get out of my sight. You tell him all the things to do, and, and you, you, know, you, you, you emphasize, do not leave my sight. Hold on to the buggy. Hold on to the stroller. Hold on to whatever I got, but do not leave my sight. Hold your sister's hand. You know, my brother decides, or my son decides, Kelly's brother decides, He's going to play a trick on mama. And so out of nowhere, he, when Kim turns her head and looking at something, he darts out underneath the rack of clothes. And he's smiling. And he's, and, and, and Kim is panicked. Panicked. Chris, where are you? And Chris wasn't coming out. He wasn't coming out. He thought it was funny. He thought he was playing a joke. Chris, where are you? I mean, my wife is getting security now. She's getting in, in a state of panic. Where is my son? <laughs> you know, and we rehearse in our minds what we think we're going to say. But the Bible says that when the father saw his son afar off, he was filled not with anger, not with did you do everything right, not with why did you do what you did. He was filled with compassion. That's what my heavenly father, when he looks at me and I have been rebellious and I've done my own thing, and I have run from him, and I've hid, tried to, to hide from him. My father is not angry. When he sees me, he is filled with compassion. Now, I don't know about you, this just touches me. You mean to tell me of all the times I've rebelled, of all the times I've disobeyed, of all the times I, I've tried to hide, of all the times I've said something I shouldn't have said or did something I shouldn't have done, all the times that I've kind of walked away from you, every time, God, that, that I started coming back, you were filled with compassion. You were not filled with anger. You were not filled with envy. You were not filled with, well, I hope you learned your lesson. You were not filled with all those things. I told you so. You were filled with compassion. And notice what he says, that he was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, 
and kissed him. Before he could get into the city, before he could get to the father, his father ran to him. Now, I'm going to tell you something about this culture and and that culture in that day. For a father who had a robe on, who I mean, it was humiliating, humiliating for a father in his robe, his clothes, to run anywhere. But his father was not concerned about what he looked like. He was not concerned about what anybody else thought. He was not concerned about the Pharisees or the publicans. He was not concerned about the tax collectors or the sinners. All he saw was that his son, and he had such compassion on him that he left everything behind and he ran. And when he ran, this guy was filthy. He was dirty. He had been with the pigs. He's a Jewish, he's unclean. But the father threw his arms around him and did the most despicable thing and kissed him. I mean, gave him a bear hug and squeezed him and then probably kissed him on his forehead or on his cheek. And, and, and the word kiss there is not just one kiss. He lavished him with kisses. That's what my father looks like to you and I who are rebellious and run from God. He's not angry. He's just so excited to see us come back. And I'm going to tell you something about this. When the son was coming back, he wasn't coming back for a relationship. He was coming back for a need. But in the process of all that was going on, in process of the father embracing him, the father hugging him, the father kissing him, I'm telling you, in the, in the process of all that the father was doing, the son began to realize what was really important was not the need, but the relationship. In fact, if you look, the, 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 the Bible says that he sinned. He tried to tell his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. But notice the response to the father. He kind of hushed him up, said, shut up, be quiet. He said, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put it on him. Bring the robe, which, which the robe represents a status symbol. You're a part of the family. You're my son. You're my son. The kiss represented forgiveness. The robe represented a a, a status symbol that he was a part of the family. He was no longer a foreigner. He was no longer a sinner. He was a part of the family. He became a ring put a ring on his finger. The ring was a sign of authority. He not only is my son, but he has the authority of his father. He squandered everything, but he has the authority of his father. The sandals were given to him. The sandals were a sign of freedom. Only slaves went barefoot. And the last thing he said, let's kill the fatted calf. Son, we're going to celebrate because you were once lost, but now you're found. And I think about that. And I think about my Father in heaven. 
what does, how does my father see me when I've been rebellious? How does my father see me when I've sinned? How does my father see me when I've missed the mark? How does my father see me when I don't get it right all the time? How does my father see me? I believe he sees me just like he sees this prodigal son. And when I turn back to him, he runs to me and embraces me. And he forgives me. He gives me his authority, his name, his symbol. He gives me, I'm a child. You're my child. You're, you're, you're not a servant. You're, I, I'm telling you, I, 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 I am not a servant. I am a child of the king. I'm a child of God. I want to serve him because of his love that he's lavished on me. And I want to say this in closing. Derek, if you get ready. At the Father's command, a party begins, and it lasts for hours. And I want to say this, and I want you to get this. God cares more about relationship. God cares more about relationship than religious action. Can I say that again? God cares more about relationship than religious action. I wish I'd have known this 40 years ago. I wish I'd have known this. That my father loves me so much that when he sees me, and I've been rebellious, I've been running, I've disregarded what he said, I've disobeyed what he said, whatever the situation in my life, whatever the situation in your life, when my father sees me returning to him, and I might be returning out of a need, I might be returning out of a need, I might be returning because I'm scared I'm going to hell, or I might be returning because of a, a physical need or emotional need or whatever, but I might be returning. But you see, God, God just runs out and embraces me, forgives me, Tells me I'm his child. I am not his slave. I am his child. You are part of the family. And I love you. I'm afraid of many times I've seen the father as one being angry. I remember in, in my dad growing up. My dad had a 1969 Ford F-100. They didn't have F-150s then. It was a Ford F-100. It was a Ford Ranger. It was a full-size truck. Then they were called, the Ranger was a full-size truck. And my dad had this 1969 Ford Ranger full-size truck. Had the 390 in it. The shift on the column. You don't, guys don't know what that is, but he had a shift on the column. And my dad loved that truck. That was his pride and joy, so to speak. He loved that truck. Well, then my dad was given a company truck, so that truck sat on the carport. He would drive it on the weekends. He'd drive it every once in a while, but that was his truck. He kept that thing spotless. I mean, it had the original carpet in it. 20 years later, it didn't have a scratch on that truck except for the one that I made. My dad was at work and 
I don't know why, but somehow the truck was in the driveway, and so I was going to pull it up into the carport. And if you, at my house, when we grew up, we drove up in the driveway, and we had to make a left into the carport. And I knew that I needed to get it close to the wall so my mom could get her car in. And so I made a left-hand turn. And about that time, right up against the brick wall. And my dad's at work. I go to school that day. My dad's pride and joy, and I'm the one that scratched it. I come home from school. My dad comes home from work. My dad's sitting at the supper table, and I said, Dad, I got to tell you something. I said, please don't be mad at me. Please don't yell at me. That's what I said. I said, please don't yell at me, Dad. He said, son, have I ever yelled at you? No, but I've never done what I just did to your truck. (laughs) I said, Dad, I pulled the truck up in the carport this morning, and I hit the edge of the wall with it and scratched it. And my dad didn't say a word. My dad didn't even get up from the table. Didn't say a word. Later, he went out and looked at it. I said, Dad, I'm sorry. He said, son, it's okay. It's okay. Never punished me. Never yelled at me. Didn't even ask me the question. I I don't remember him even asking me the question, well, what did you learn from this? Didn't say nothing. You see, a lot of times we see our Heavenly Father in a way that's not who He is. And at that moment, I saw my dad as one that was going to be mad and angry. He never got angry. He never got upset. He may have went to his bedroom and cried. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't think he did. I don't think he did. But my point is, how do you see your heavenly father? And what do you think your father thinks of you? When you're rebellious, we had that slide up there, I think. It says, compassion for the rebellious. How do you see your father? And how do you think your father sees you when you rebel? And when you run and when you do your own thing and you break the relationship, how do you think your father sees you? I believe he sees you just as his father saw his son. He runs. He runs towards you. He embraces you. He kisses you on the forehead, on the cheek, and he says, you're forgiven. Before he even asked, before he could even say, I'm sorry, God said, you're forgiven. Do you know in a place in the Old Testament when David sinned against God, God, God's response to David was, David, I knew that you had sinned and I forgave you before you even asked. I forgave you before you even asked. Don't you realize that's the kind of father that we serve? He didn't ask. He didn't say, oh, God. He didn't say, you know, he just, he forgave him before he even asked. He said, you're my son. You're my family. You have the authority as a child of God. You're not a hired servant. You're not a slave. That's how God sees you today. 
What a powerful act of grace to me. And so I want to ask the question in closing. This story is a picture of how God sees us. Mercy does not give us what we do deserve. But grace gives us what we don't deserve. And aren't you glad for grace this morning? And so I want to ask the question, have you accepted the grace of God today? And if not, then why? Why not now? I don't know where you're at in your relationship, but I'm telling you today, God is more concerned about your relationship with him than your religious action. Today, I have a relationship with my heavenly father. And it's because of that relationship that I have with my heavenly father that I don't do some of the things I used to do. It's not about being scared. I just don't want to do it because of my relationship with God. Because God is more concerned about my relationship with him than religious action. And so he is with you. Would you stand? So I want to ask the question, how do you see your father today? And how do you think your father is seeing you today? How do you think? Do you see him as a loving heavenly father that is full of compassion? That even though you've been rebellious, even though you've done your own thing, even though you've gone your own way, even though you've disobeyed him, how do you see your father looking at you today? I hope and pray that you see your father as one who's full of compassion, full of compassion, running to meet you, running to embrace you, running to kiss you and forgive you, running to tell you you're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to the enemy. You're not a slave to the world. You're not even one of my slaves. You are a child, my child. I hope that's how you see your heavenly father today. And if you haven't accepted his gift of grace, then why not? Why not just, just come? He's already running towards you. He's already wanting to embrace you. He's wanting to forgive you. In fact, he forgave you before you came. That's the kind of father he is. Father God, I pray this morning, God, that you speak to our hearts. God, I want us to see the heart of you today. I want us to get to know you today, Jesus. I want us to get to know our Heavenly Father through you, Jesus. You gave us a picture of what our Father is really like. He's not a God that is angry at us. He's a God that is so full of compassion that he forgives, that he embraces, that he gives us authority, that he calls us his own. So Lord, I hope and pray that we would see that today. And God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior today, as their Lord, as their Heavenly Father today, Jesus, I pray that they would be drawn to you. God, whether it's out of a need or God, whatever it may be, God, that they'll just be drawn to you and they'll begin to see you. See you, God, for who you really are today. So God, would you speak to us? Would you draw us nigh unto you? God, and maybe today there's a prodigal son. Maybe there's a prodigal daughter who's rebelled, who's done their own thing. 
God, would they begin to see you today as a father full of compassion, wanting to embrace them, wanting to forgive them, and wanting to call them your own. God, speak to them today. I ask it in the name of Jesus. This altar's open. Maybe you're one of those, like me, that kind of did your own thing and kind of had a little rebellious streak. Why don't you just come back to the Father? He's already running after you. Maybe you don't know Jesus today. Why don't you come? Whether it's out of a need, why don't you just come and begin to develop a relationship with the Heavenly Father who loves you today and has compassion on you today. As they're singing this song, this altar's open. Would you come? Go ahead, Derek. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything, more than anything that you can do. I just want you. I'm sorry. Thanks for listening to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you.